just want to pick up possibly on on the thoughts of that song and what's been said so far but just reading this morning from the book of Acts and I wanted to take this passage really as a a kind of a, a foundation for what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks and we'll refer back to it several times but it's a passage just after Stephen, the first martyr, he was stoned and of course the early church were dispersed and they, went, they, they scattered really and, uh, but they, they really preached the gospel. They had great urgency about what they did and, and in verses 6 to 8 of chapter 8 of Acts it says this, Those who had been scattered preached the word everywhere they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So there was great joy in that city. So there was great joy in that city. They weren't just happy. They weren't just happy because the council had lowered the rates for a couple of years. They weren't just glad because the local rugby rugby team had won their regional derby. But there was joy in the city. Now, there is something about the root word of that joy that means the presence of Christ. The presence of Christ was in that city. One thing that I've been praying for over that happens as we, we look at the next few weeks of our mornings together, that there'll be something that sparks within us that desires more than anything else to see the presence of God in our city. Is that right? Just looking, I was talking to, talking to, um, to, to Ben before and uh, trying to work out where the passage in Proverbs was that talked about a city being blessed. But listen to these words. Proverbs 11 says, When right living people bless the city, it flourishes. Evil evil talk turns it into a ghost town in no time. When right living people bless the city, it flourishes. Evil talk turns it into a ghost town in no time. There are two things I just want to pray for our city just in a minute, but there are two things I want to pray for specifically. One is the fact that we've got a statue that is an unreal presentation of family. That's the first thing. Not a biblical representation of what family is. And secondly is the word bogan. How many of us use the word bogan in a kind of a derogatory term about the city of Upper Hutt? How many of us have? Yeah, we have, haven't we? Some of us have. Yeah. It's an uncomplimentary term. It means those, it's a vulgar term, it's a colloquialism referring to those who are poorly educated and those who are very low on a socioeconomic scale. And I want us to, I want us to stand actually and, and, and stand against both of those things and, and, and make a determined um, commitment in our own lives to be positive about our city. Can we do that? Can we stand together and just declare together? Father, we thank you for this beautiful place that you've called us to live in. You've placed us here for a reason. We love it. We love its geography. We love the the, the closeness to a big city. We love the river that runs through it. We love love our climate. We love the people here. We're committed to this place. 
And so, Lord, we, we stand for everything that is good in your word about this city. We stand for the goodness and for the blessing and for the fruitfulness of God to be evident in this place. And Lord, we would stand against, we would make a stand against any statue or, or anything that would, that would picture family as that it should not be. And Lord God, we, we, we say that we would, we would do all we can in our own power with your strength to live life and to live family the way that your word says it should be lived. And Lord, we pray that we would honor each other. We would honor our parents. We would honor our kids. We would, be, we would give life to those that are in the generation above and in the generation below. And Lord, we would, we would recognize the strength of a mum and dad and what they contribute to family life and ultimately what they contribute to city life. And Lord, too, we stand against the names and the words like Bogan and the derogatory term that is, and we just want to speak life. And all those who feel as though they have been cast down and, and of a lesser standard and, 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 and worth less than others, Lord, this morning, we want to lift them up. We pray that in our words, day by day, week by week, we would lift people up. Our words would be encouraging. Our words would bring life. Our words would bring fruit. They'd be a blessing. We were, uh, the, 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 the words that slip through our lips would be anointed words that bring the goodness of God to people. We pray that in Jesus' name. We pray for this place. We pray that what we go through the next few weeks and what, what Jesse has planned for us in the month of October, Lord, we'd see some really good things happen. We'd see the God of, the God of creation step down in a miraculous way and put his hand on this place. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Pastor was um, preaching one morning on the second coming of Christ and he was speaking from Revelation 22 and verse 12 where I think it says, Behold, I come quickly. And he, and he was trying to get his message across really firmly and, and so he, said, he shouted out, Behold, I come quickly. And uh, the congregation were kind of not quite with him. Some were falling off to sleep. And so he emphasized it by shouting it loud. He said, behold, I come quickly. And it still wasn't getting through. So he slapped the pulpit like that, slapped the lectern like that and said, behold, I come quickly. And he did it again. And he, behold, I come quickly. At which point the lectern broke and he lost his footing and he fell and landed in the lap of an old lady sitting in the front seat. Sorry, an old lady sitting in the front seat. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. And, and as he brushed him, he got up and he brushed himself off and he apologized profusely. And the old lady says, she says it's not your fault. You gave me plenty of warning. <laughs> but right through history, the followers of Jesus have longed for his return, haven't they? And the Bible closes in Revelation 22, the last verse, with, that, with those yearning words, Come, Lord Jesus. And when we celebrate communion together, when we celebrate, when we worship together, there is a link between the remembering of what Jesus has done, the song we've just sung, the remembering of what Jesus has done, but the anticipation of his coming again. There is the link there. We remember the past and we anticipate the future. And some months ago, we looked at the four characteristics of the, that defined the early church, and that really was the first characteristics. They, they, they remembered Jesus. They remembered Jesus. In fact, the, 
the events of the crucifixion and the resurrection were so close, were so near in their memories that they had no option but to remember Jesus. But there was a passion about their memory, about the remembering of Jesus. Can anybody remember the other three characteristics of the early church that we talked about? Remembering Jesus? What was another one? Anybody else? Pardon? They were passionate about each other. They were they were mad. They loved each other to bits. Yep, cool. Another one. Actually, um, Luke, you might want to put these up soon. We've okay. They were instructed. They were instructed on there was instruction on three levels: instruction in, in in how to live right to their relationship with God, instruction on how to live well together in community, and instruction on how to live effectively in the world. And they just had to get the message out. There was a, a sense of urgency in getting the message out, and they took seriously the commands of Jesus to make disciples and to bring change to the world. They lived knowing that the Holy Spirit enabled and empowered them to do great things. And even persecution didn't hinder them. We've just read the account of what happened to the church just after Saul, uh, Stephen was, was stoned, and that, they, there was still a sense of getting out there at risk to their own lives of getting the message out. They just had to do that. <coughs> Excuse me. You may recall I brought along a table that had four legs, uneven legs. Remember that? And the, the legs, kind of the four legs portrayed those four characteristics and how sometimes a church could be unbalanced if one of those characteristics was emphasised at the expense of maybe one or two others not having enough focus. For example, you could really f- emphasise instruction and, and be quite heavy on instruction, but not a lot of time is given into loving one another. Or you could um, talk a lot about, you'd worship a lot, there'd be a lot of celebration of what Jesus had done, but there'd be no instruction, very light on instruction. How, how easy it would for, be a, for a church to become unbalanced. And you don't have to spend long in a church or be very insightful and insightful to, to see that most churches do have a short leg. Most churches, you know, I talked to a guy the other, a couple of months ago who, who was involved in a church where they call ministers. They call ministers, well, they call ministers ministers, but they call ministers, you know what I mean? They, they ask ministers to come to their church. And the minister that left had, was a very good teacher. And this guy was just saying that, the previous minister was a good teacher, but now there is not much teaching because he's an evangelist and all he cares about is, is bringing new people in. And so he felt the church was kind of had a short leg. So if, if we had a short leg, what do you think our short leg would be? Anybody? Number four? Okay. So we're pretty good at, at, um, at remembering Jesus, aren't we? We could be more creative in our worship, but... And we could have communion perhaps more often, more regularly. But I think we, we, we remember Jesus pretty well. We, we're fairly authentic in how we remember Jesus. We, we love each other most of the time. And, and we have good, clear instruction. But we're not too effective in getting the message out. Why is that, I hear you saying? And I'm glad you asked that question. And there are a number of reasons for that. And what I want us to do this morning is just explore briefly some of the reasons why it's difficult for us and we're not that effective in getting the message out. Reasons why it's a challenge for us to actually get the message out. And so, Luke, if you could put on the next one. 
Firstly, it's awkward for us, isn't it? Six weeks ago, I think I spoke and we, well, I asked some questions like, how many of us find it a challenge to choose the right words when speaking to others about Jesus? How many of us struggle with, with um, the, the language and we, 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 we find it difficult to engage with others in a conversation about Jesus? A number of, number of you put up your hands. And then we asked another question, and that was how many of us who are a little bit older struggle more now than we did 30 years ago in sharing our faith. And a number of you also put your hands up. And so there is, because of the shift we have in our culture, because of the the post-Christian culture we live in and the church has stayed here and the culture has moved further away, it is more difficult for us to actually share our faith with a culture, with friends, with acquaintances who are a little bit more removed in in their kind of worldview than where we are. And so it's become awkward, and not only is it awkward for us to, um, to engage, but it's also sometimes awkward for people to listen to us because our language has changed, hasn't it? And we find it's easy for us to speak in a language that we're familiar with here, but when we engage people who are not familiar with church, the, the culture there has got kind of an unfamiliarity written all over it. And so what I want us to do over the, next, over the next week, anyway, is to explore ways that we can break through on this awkwardness and so that sharing our faith becomes more of a natural part of how we live. Because it's, it's difficult as we, you know, getting out there is often out of our comfort zone because here is kind of our happy place, you know what I mean? It's kind of, we feel comfortable here. People think like we do, talk like we do most of the time. Strange though, because we we talk, you know, we can talk about our our wives and our husbands and our kids. We get excited about the milestones in their lives, don't we? We do. I mean, their first steps, the toilet trained, and and the riding of a bike. You know, the kids, not the husbands, and 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 we get excited about that. There is something about the 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 family that we have and those were those were that are close to us that we don't find difficult at all to to talk about. And yet we have this awkwardness in sometimes talking about Jesus and sharing our faith. And so those are, we're going to cover some of that next week. But that's one of the barriers for us in, in getting the message out. Another, another reason we have a, a cha- it's challenging to us or we have a problem is that we've reduced evangelism to a social gospel. Francis of Assisi has been credited with the saying, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary use words. Well, firstly, Francis apparently never said that. And secondly, it's just not biblically correct. In fact, taken to the extreme, the, the, the statement could be used as an excuse to never say anything at all. The gospel is more than just a social service. It is the spoken word as well. It is both. Isn't that right? Now, the Bible instructs us very clearly to care for others, especially the marginalized, the poor, the orphans, the widows. But the Bible also instructs us to, te- to preach the word, to speak the word at all times. Always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you and a reason for the hope that is within you. First Peter 3 verse 15. So we carry this ministry of reconciliation. We carry this message, First, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 18. We carry it within us. 
and we serve our community well. We do things well in our community. We, we, we serve others. We do what we can as we, as we do with breakfast in schools and we do stuff here in the CAF and we, we do things very well. But there are many other groups and charities and institutions who do the same thing. But one thing that they cannot do that we do is that we carry the message of grace. And so we have to consider that the gospel message is both. No one else carries the message of grace. We need to extend the bread of life as well as bread for the tummy. It's, it's scandalous. It's scandalous to the work of Christ on the cross. And all that he has done, it's scandalous to his work and to humanity's need for what Jesus did on the cross. To only place as being important the immediate needs of this life and ignore the eternal needs of the life to come. Are you with us here? Yep. It's a shame. It's, it's repugnant, I would say, to, for, for what Jesus did on the cross and all that means for me and my friends and all those that we know. Only to have compassion for the immediate needs of this life, but ignore the eternal needs of the life to come. Thirdly, we limit evangelism to an event. In other words, we have an outreach week. Now imagine if we did that with the other four characteristics of the early church. Oh, let's just have a, a loving each other week, you know, or let's have a, um, an instruction week, but we don't do much else during the rest of the year. We just have an instruction week. No, we, we, getting the message out has to be a distinctive of who we are, not just something we do. It's who we are as his people. And fourthly, we leave evangelism to someone else. I've heard people say, well, you know, I don't have the gift. I don't have the gift of evangelism. I'm more of a behind-the-scenes person, you know. Scripture does not identify evangelism as a gift. 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, evangelism is not a gift. Now, Ephesians 4 says that the gift of the evangelist is given to the church to equip the saints for works of service. But evangelism itself is not a gift. In fact, if we want to break it down, 1 Peter 4 talks about those who serve and those who speak. But the, the call or the command to, 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 um, to witness, to be a fruit bearer, to, to actually to bring light to a, to a dark world is a command for all of us. There is no, um, it's, it's, a call, it's a call on all the followers of Jesus, not just a qualification for some. Right, number five. And on us, we have there, do we really care? That's a good question, requires an honest answer. One of the reasons we, we struggle with getting the message out, do we really care? Do we really care that some of those we spend time with are living empty lives? Either attempting to fill the void or oblivious to the incredible message of life and fulfillment that we carry. Do we really care that some people live or just exist without any real sense of purpose and meaning in life? No idea that they were made for a divine purpose in the kingdom of God of this universe. 
Do we really care that our friends, that our co-workers, that our acquaintances are like sheep without a shepherd, lost without hope, not knowing that the security and peace of the message we carry is like coming home? Do we really care that those living separated from God have never heard, never understood or received the message of grace remain with this barrier, this wall of separation between them and God? Do we really care that through choice or non-choice, many of those we know will spend eternity in hell? Now, some of you may have cringed when I used that word because you probably associate a particular image with it. But I'm not talking about the misunderstanding that many of us have of, of Sheol, of Gehenna or, or Hades, the land of the lost or the land of the dead. But literally, a, when we take pictures out of the Bible, I've got, a, I've got an uncle of mine, Jack Lloyd. Some of you would know Jack, who was preaching. And he's a real hellfire, damnation preacher. And he was preaching in North Queensland um, to... A small church, many of them were aboriginals, and he was preaching about hell. And he said, in hell there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And one little old aboriginal lady down the front with no teeth, she said, what's how you got no teeth? And Jack took his teeth out, took his own teeth out, and he said, teeth will be supplied. <laughs> But hell as a state, as a place where God isn't. A place where there will be absence or loss for those creatures who once were human but now are not. Creatures who once reflected at least a portion of the image of God but have chosen to do so no more. Chosen to live without God, his image or his fingerprint on their being. Made a choice to live removed from his presence. As C.S. Lewis says, hell is a choice. There are those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, thy will be done. Do we really care enough to persuade those we know to make the choice that will determine their eternal destiny? I wonder if we could quantify the compassion that we each have for those who don't know Jesus. Where would that sit? On the scale of 1 to 10, the compassion for those that don't know Jesus. Where does that rate with me? I'm wondering if I'm about 4 or 5 and one's good and one is bad and 9 is, is excellent. Maybe in the middle somewhere, but what sort of compassion we have? And I wonder if we've lost some of that because... We've lost the sense of eternal destiny. Do we really care? So if there are... Um, what have we got there? That's it, just five, haven't we? Good. So if there are some reasons and that, uh, that we've struggled as a church to be ineffective in getting the message out, well, perhaps why one leg is shorter than the other three, we need to go back and reflect on the message of the gospel and how that changed their world. How did the New Testament church change their world? And we can see that, that we do have some of the boxes ticked, 
but some of them that we need to work on. So, Luke, if we could have that other slide up there. Right. This is where we're going over the next few weeks. So in loving one another, they allowed people to observe the love of God. They fulfilled the words of Jesus by, when he said, by your love for one another, the world will know that you are my disciples. Coming to, coming to Jesus is really like coming home, a sense of community. And loving one another, they allow people to observe the love of God. The Cozy Club in, down the road here has a, a wonderful sense of belonging, doesn't it? A lot of people, how many members belong at the Cozy, Cozy Club? How many? There's several thousand, isn't it? And, and there is a, a sense of, of membership, of belonging. Why? Because they, they just, there is... Um, they do stuff that they just enjoy doing together. They belong. They invite friends. Strength. This, is, this is how we live. But in loving one another, they allow people to observe the love of God. We need to have a love for one another. Serving others. Secondly, serving others allow people to receive the provision of God. Is that the right? Have you got three there? Have you got three there, Joel? I mean, Luke. Three slides. Okay, cool. All right. Okay, just correlating the notes to the to the slides. That's all. Serving others allowed people to receive the, the provision of God. Remember, in Acts chapter nine, there's a there's a story about Tabitha making coats for the poor. And she, she was um, when she died. The community was so touched; they came around and gathered around the bedside, and um, because of the of what she had provided for them, serving others allowed people to receive the provision of God. The older I get, the more I talk with people and myself, I realise that it's primarily not about my knowledge and any ability that I have to debate, my grasp of apologetics or my intellect, but do I have genuine compassion? People don't care about how much we know until they know about how much we care. Do we really care? All right, miracles allow people to experience the power of God. They believe the words of Jesus, greater Greater things will you do. They believe that they were a conduit through which the Holy Spirit moved, not a pond in which he resides. Their lives were recognised by the supernatural. Peter and the crippled crippled beggar said, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I do have I'll give you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Do you know of the 40 miracles that are mentioned in the book of Acts? 38 or 39 of them occurred outside the church. And what they said, number four, what they said allowed people to hear the words of God. There are numerous accounts in the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 3, the man who was crippled since birth 
said, silver and gold have I none. But it's an opportunity for Peter to speak. Of course, undergirding all this, the foundation of all this was prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. And next week we'll unpack a little bit of three and four. The miracles allowed people to experience the power of God and what they said allowed people to hear the words of God. I, I had an experience this last week. Excuse me for a tick, I've just got to take my breath a bit here. You know, the older I get, you're thinking that right now, I know, aren't you? <laughs> the older I get, the more I realise it's not about my ability to debate with people. It's not about my ability to think straight, and once again, you're thinking that right now. It's not my ability to read my notes, and it's not about my ability to, to engage in, in difficult conversations, but it's about how much I care for people how much I really care. And I had an interesting conversation um, earlier this week where I was on a building site in, in Waikanae and um, one of the guys arrived in late and he got out of his car and I could tell he was a bit dis- disturbed and I, and I said, you know, what's, the, what's the matter, Gary? And he said, well, my wife, or my partner, we'll call her Katie, is in hospital and um, she's in intensive care. Uh, problems with... Um, with pneumonia or something, and he said, well, you know, I just don't know what to do. I've just taken my little daughter to daycare, um, and Katie's in intensive care. What do we do? And I said, well, you know, you're obviously here at work, but what's so we, what so we pray for you? So there was another couple of guys on the job, and they one of them dropped tools and just stood in the doorway as we prayed for Katie. And as we prayed... I just, I just prayed a prayer of saying, God, we pray your blessing upon Katie. Pray that you would bring healing to her body and we stand against this, this condition that she's got at the moment and we ask that your healing power would fall over her life. And, and, and anyway, we, we talked for a bit and finished off and then we went off and I left and went to another job and he carried on. And anyway, we went back to the site about three days later and he, he rushed out of the house even before I got out of the ute and he, and he said, you know, it's happened. He said, and the way he started off is way, the way the response many of it is, many of them do is, I, he said, this is probably just coincidence, but he said, I had a call from the hospital about two hours after you prayed for Katie to say that she's been shifted out of intensive care and that she has no longer got this condition is really improving and she was home two days later and you know I, I just get excited about the fact that God wants to use us to reach out to others in that way and it's not about what I you see people don't care people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care and it's not about what I contain in here it's about how much of my heart I've got for those who don't know him. And it's, I just, um, sorry, I'm just not with, I'm kind of, um, I had one of these about a few months ago, didn't I, a year or so ago. I'm kind of not with it this morning. Um, so anyway, what they, miracles allowed people to experience the power of God. What they said allowed people to hear the words of God. So those are the four things that we're going to be dealing with over the next few weeks. Observing the love of God, receiving the provision of God, experiencing the power of God and hearing the words of God.
Can we just close by looking at a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4? So next week we're going to spend some time unpacking 3 and 4 there more than, more than the other two. And um, just want us to realise that we have what the world is hungry for. So what is evangelism? What is sharing your faith? It really is just one beggar telling another beggar where they found bread. And you carry the bread of life, and it's not just for you. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So if we can just read that in verse, verse 7. In fact, we'll start at verse 5 of Second Corinthians 4. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said... Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. We have this treasure in jars of clay. The the NLT says this, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. And you're seeing this fragility in me this morning, aren't you? This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. There is... The... um, A clay jar or an earthen vessel was a common metaphor for a weak the weakness of the human being or the human's body or the human spirit. We have this incredible treasure, this incredible treasure in a broken vessel, chipped, scarred, cracked. Why? So that the treasure itself that's inside can be portrayed and expressed to others around us. Some of us here have been cracked. And some of us here have been They've got little bits missing and the jar is just an old pot, you know, but it's our pot, but his power and his presence. I'm just, as I was praying this morning, I was just thinking about some of us here this morning who are just clay pots. And we're showing the, the kind of the effect of being thrown around the kitchen a bit too much, chipped and broken and scarred, but we have within us this incredible treasure of the gospel of the kingdom of God that needs to be portrayed to those who desperately require it and are hungering for it. Len, you've been through some stuff in your life and you've got some scars, you've got some cracks, but inside of you is this incredible treasure, incredible treasure of the power and the goodness of God in your life 
that can only be portrayed because of the cracks and because of the imperfections of the pot in which it is, it is living, it is existing. May God bless you as you, as you rely on him and depend on him to, to shine through your life and to be an expression of his goodness through the imperfection that is Len Everson. May that happen. You're just a clay pot, Len. But the goodness and the power of God resides in you to make a difference to the world in which you live. Colin Rickaby. Where are you, Colin? Yes, there you are. And you're a clay pot that's got... It's, it's, you've had some stuff happen as well, you know. But I just want to encourage you that there is something about the God who lives within you and his grace and his provision for you, especially over the last few years, that is so evident in your life. And it's such an encouragement to others because they see what God has done in your life through the, through the imperfections of the outside casing, if you like, and the goodness and the provision of, the, of this wonderful God who dwells within. So bless you. And bless you as you take what God has done in your life and through the difficulties and through the challenges of your life and you use that in the future for his glory as well. Bless you as you do that. Is Jen Tyson here? No, she's not. Philip Pip DeWitt. You're another one. Is, she here? Is Pip here? Yeah, Pip. Just want to encourage you, Pip, that you're as, a, you're as much as a clay pot as any of us are. But there's something about the goodness of God that's worked through your life with all your difficulties, with all your pain, with all your sorrow, with all your trouble. And that the goodness of God, the life of God, flows through you. And I want, to, I want to just encourage you that there is more of God to be seen. More of God, more of his goodness, more of his grace, more of his power to be evident in your life. As you trust him with all that he has to do through you. Amen? Let's pray. I need to pray. Father, we thank you that you have made us as common vessels, each of us. No one is, no one is exempt from being labelled just a common vessel. We are clay pots through which the glory and the majesty of the gospel of grace is portrayed. The light of God is seen through us. So Lord, help us as we, as we live our lives, as we engage with others who don't know you for the real Jesus to be seen through us, through all the imperfections, through all the frailties of our life, that the power of God, that the goodness of God, that the grace of God would be portrayed, that, that in our own failings, in our own weaknesses, that the God of grace is evident. And we pray, Lord, that as we, as we live for you and as we engage with, the, with other people over these next few weeks and learn how we can once again be people that, that are confident in this, in this gospel message that we carry, that you would place on our hearts something very significant over this time. And Lord, help us as we reach out to others, as we reach out to our community, to be all that we need to be and to be all that they need to be as well. And so that once again, there would be great joy in the city, not just happiness, not just gladness, 
and not just fun and not just laughter and not just excitement for excitement's sake. But, Lord, that there would be a deep joy because the presence of Christ is here. And so, Lord, we ask that in your precious name. We ask that you would do in our lives what you need to do in order for us to serve you and to serve you well and to be the people that you need us to be, to engage others with your power and with your spirit working through us in your precious name. Amen.